Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. We are part of Baltimore Sports and Life Radio here at On the Verge, uh, so be sure to check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com as well as check out all the other shows that are part of BSL Radio. On tonight's episode of On the Verge, we're joined by a special guest. Uh, he is an instructor in the Baltimore Orioles farm system who spent the 2021 season as a fundamentals coach for the high-A Aberdeen Ironbirds. He is Tim Dijon. Tim, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. So just to start off, um, can you give the listeners a sense of your baseball background and how your career path led you to the Orioles? Ooh, um, I started off as a, uh, my coaching career, I started off as a, as a high school baseball coach. I went back to my high school and uh, I coached for, at my high school for three years. And then from there, I went to uh, the town over, uh, Southington High School, and I coached there for five years. Uh, then I went to Division One University of Hartford. I coached there for two years uh, as an infield coach. Then I went to the University of Memphis. Uh, I coached there for two years as well. Um, in between Memphis and the Orioles, I coached one summer with the Milwaukee Milkmen, uh, which is an independent league baseball team. Um, and then fall of 2019, uh, I got hired by the Orioles. So just, um, last year you were with Aberdeen as a fundamentals coach. Can you give our listeners a sense of what went into the day in and out of that job? Oh, um, try to get there as, as early as possible, but with COVID and all those, uh, protocols, sometimes that, that wasn't necessarily, uh, something that could happen, but, I would try to schedule certain infielders every day for early work um, and work on whatever they needed to to specifically focus on. Uh, then we would, with uh, batting practice, I would take infielders off to the side and start working with them because um, we had the turf there. So it was it was really nice to to take a machine and and do some side work with them. Then during batting practice, um, you know, hitting guys fungos. Uh, when they come in, uh, we would go over any video uh, from the previous game. If I needed to go over certain video with them, uh, reviewing plays, complimenting them on plays that they made or correcting them on some fundamentals that they uh, that they needed to correct. And then, then it was pretty much game time after that. You mentioned the turf there at Aberdeen. And I know that's something you've seen a lot of like at the college ranks and, you know, uh, 
high schools that can afford that. Um, but it, does that cause any issue for like defensively speaking for those infielders? Does that cause any issue for those guys moving from, you know, going from Delmarva and uh, the Florida Complex League or, or the DSL and then moving up to Aberdeen with that turf? And then when you go up to Bowie and Norfolk, you're back on the dirt. Is that an issue mm-hmm. for anybody or is it just guys are used um, to it? It has its pros and cons. Uh, the pros are you can do infield work whenever you want, wherever you want, at any time. It could pour outside, and then 10 minutes later, you can be out there getting your work in. Um, it's It wasn't surprisingly as fast as I thought it would be. Um, talking to some of the infielders, I asked them the same question. You know, How does this affect you when we go play on the road? And they said that it actually helped them because it gave them a little bit of confidence and they would sometimes try approaching balls in different angles that they normally wouldn't approach them on. Um, I mean, that's, it's part of the deal. So they, they better get used to it. (laughs) Um, I I loved it because as an infield coach, I never have to talk to the groundskeeper about when, you know, we're going to be out there and you just go out there and, and do your thing and you can get as much work in as you need, um, off to the side, all, all, all sorts of different things. Um, I've had some players really, really say that it helped their confidence, you know, and then that would translate to when they, they played on, uh, played on grass, but, uh, it's, it's part of the deal. So. Interesting. Um, one thing that's come up repeatedly in our interviews with some of the players that we've been looking up to have on the show and some other coaches we've talked to is like this communication that uh, between levels of the farm system, it seems like everybody's on the exact same page here. And it's not, you know, I've done my job in high A, you're off in double A, good luck, see you later. Um, what has your experience been like uh, with this you know, open dialogue, open communication between this entire organization? Uh, I've... I've been welcomed with, with open arms the minute that I came here. Um, I think that there's not one coach in the organization that I don't feel comfortable calling at, at any point to talk to. Uh, same thing with the players. You know, we've had plenty of players at, in Aberdeen this year um, that moved up to, to Bowie. And it wasn't like, okay, see you later. Like you said, you know, you, you check in with those guys and, and, you know, you check the box scores after the games every day to see how they did. And, um, you know, and I just think it's a great group of, of coaches and players that, you know, we all have the same goal in mind and we, we speak the same language. And um, I really don't get the sense of any egos. Everyone's trying to help each other out. And, um, you know, I, I, even in the last week, some players that I haven't talked to in a while have, have kind of just reached out and said hello. And, and that's just kind of the, the, the group that we have in this organization, both players and coaches. That's very cool. And uh, if we get more specific player uh, cases, you only had him for a short time last year, but what are your impressions on Joey Ortiz, his defense? It seems like he's pretty good out there. Does he look like a major league caliber shortstop to you? <laughs> I love Joey Ortiz. Um, He's, <laughs> we have this thing where we talk trash to each other all the time. So we kind of have a little special relationship. Uh, he's very, very talented. Um, he can do some things that, you know, sometimes you hit him a ball in practice or he gets a ball in the game and you don't think that he's going to, to get to it. And he makes a play. He has a strong arm, uh, hits the ball really, really well. Um, defensively, he can get 
he can get to a lot of balls, make a lot of plays. Um, when I had him, the one thing that we really worked on was was him uh, cutting off balls in the hole uh, with his backhand. But besides that, off the top of my head, that's the only thing I could really think of that, that he needed improvement with. Uh, it was sad when, when he got hurt. You know, I, I was we were all really, really excited for him. And, you know, I, I, I thought he was primed to have a have a big year and he got injured. But, um, you know, he, he's I think he could be a very special player. I'm glad you mentioned specifically that on what you were working with him on, because on a recent episode, we talked about like uh, defensive play or just plays in general from the last minor league season at all levels that stood out to us. And the play that I initially think of all the time, I, I mentioned an Adley Rutschman play that was obnoxious because it's Adley Rutschman, but um, it, the next play is Joey Ortiz. It, it looks more like he made it look so routine, but it was that going deep in the hole, backhanded, set feet, Got the guy out at first base. It, perfection. He makes it look so easy out there. It's, it's yeah, amazing to hear that. It's um, you know, when you when you try to think of one thing, you know, that's that's the one thing that we kind of worked on is just trying to take a, a uh, an approach, a different approach angle where he's not feeling it as deep in the hole and more kind of take putting his foot in the ground, taking that forty five degree angle because he has the foot speed um, and the first step to get to it. So. Yeah, I guess 2022 will have to be his big breakout year instead of 2021. Uh, We're big fans of him. I hope so. He's a, he's a great, great kid, and he's fun. Uh, he's fun to be around. The guys like him. Um, so I, I, I hope the absolute best for that kid. Speaking of another shortstop prospect, we got quite a few of those, but uh, what does Gunnar Henderson have to do to be able to stick at shortstop long-term? Ooh, um, I just think experience. You know, he's a young kid. Um, I, I – I think that he's just going to get more and more reps um, and, and kind of figure out how to play the position. Uh, I mean, there are some times that in Aberdeen this year that we had, uh, we were in a shift and the ball was kind of dribbled to the other side of, of second base when he was playing, you know, in the shortstop position. And he, he just shows some foot speed comes across. Um, he has a super, super, super strong arm. Um, I just think that it's just going to take a little bit more experience with him. Um, you know, the more reps that he gets and understanding angles and, and how to play the position, but man, there's a ton of talent there as well. And I feel like I'm going to say the same thing about all these guys, um, but their gunner is awesome. He works really, really hard at his defense. He's not one of those guys that, that, you know, just wants to hit, you know, he takes pride in it. Um, and, you know, as a defensive coach, you really, really appreciate that. And um, I think he has all the tools to to be there. You're talking about reps a little bit. One of the things that we yeah, I think that know, was that. had in our minds most of the season was, you know, how are players coming off of basically a lost 2020 season? Um, not every case was the same. Some players got all, alternate site time like Gunnar Henderson. Others didn't. But from your position working last year, did you feel like you had to do a little bit more to help those players make up for lost time? Um, no, I, I never felt that. Um, I I kind of just took every day is is it's each and and own day. I, I you know uh, once you try to if you start thinking about lost time, you might rush a player and try to do too much. Um, I just whatever I felt and they felt was needed at the time, we just tackled you know that task each day. Um, uh, I, you gotta be careful with players, especially coming off of a, of a lost season, 
about rushing them or about doing too much. Um, and, it, you know, my philosophy is, is when you're working with a player, you try to give them one or two things to focus on that day and not try to, to give them a bunch of things because then the message gets lost. So, um, no, I, I never felt that. Uh, just tried to do do our job every single day with the same intensity and, and um, same passion for it. So we got to talk about another one of these top guys uh, that we all fell in love with last year. But Jordan Westberg ended the year in double <laughs> A first full season of pro ball, two promotions, three levels. Um, talking about his defense first. I mean, defensively, it seems like he can fit almost anywhere. Second base, third base, shortstop. He's played it all. Um, which position do you think suits his skill set? Uh, oh, best? man. <laughs> oh, you guys are killing me. Put me on the spot. Um, I haven't seen him too much at second base, um, and he definitely didn't play first. So uh, I, I definitely see him on the left side. Um, I think he feels a little bit more comfortable at shortstop because he hasn't had as many reps at third base. Uh, but that's another guy that I'm very, very close with, and you know we, we call him the big fundamental because he well he calls himself the big fundamental um and uh i am glad that he embraces that um ooh, that's a tough question i i i tell you a funny story is in spring training uh, i had gunner and westberg uh they were uh, at early camp and some days it was just me and the two of them out there uh maybe a couple other coaches and i brought them off to the side and i I said, you know, I know you both want to play shortstop, so your job is to make sure he doesn't play short, and your job is to make sure he doesn't play short at the big league level. And um, I think they embraced that. Uh, they split a lot of time at Aberdeen between short and third, um, and they 100% push each other every day. They they challenge each other. Um, you know, it's almost like anything you could do, I could do better. Um, and I really do think that they care about each other and, um, they want the best for each other's career. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know the, the long-term answer. That's, that's, a. Uh, there's people above me that, that get paid a lot more money <laughs> and that, that make those decisions. I just try to help them out for wherever they, they're slide they're slotted to play. Um, and I, I think the more that they get comfortable with the left side of the infield in both positions, the better off that they're going to be and the more valuable they're going to be to this organization themselves and each other. I think Westberg, to me at least, he quickly became one of the most intriguing prospects in this system because I think coming out of the draft, a lot of evaluators thought that he should have been taken earlier and the Orioles probably lucked out and they got a really talented player a little later than when he should have been selected. And we, I know there's that Fangraphs article that the interview that they did with him that we got to, to look into his mind of Jordan Westbrook, the hitter. And it was, I thought it was absolutely fascinating to see how detailed this guy is. I think I get the sense that he's going to become a fan favorite uh, of many Orioles fans at the major league level uh, very, very soon, possibly even this year. Uh, so can you maybe talk, you talked to Ari a little bit about this, but kind of who Jordan Westbrook is uh, as a person, um, what kind of personality does this guy have? Who is he? Oh man, he's, I mean, he's easily one of my favorites and I, I don't care if he was drafted one, one overall or the last, last pick in the entire draft. Uh, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal young man. Um, I mentioned that we have such a good relationship. Uh, I think the kid has a good heart. He's fun to be around. 
no ego on him whatsoever. You know, you don't get that. I'm from Mississippi State and first rounder type vibe from him. He's just a he's a blue collar kid that that likes to work and you know, after every session that, that we do infield work, he'll come in and, um, hey, what do you got for me? You know, he, he wants to hear things all the time. He wants to get better. He, he's not one of those guys that just because he's playing well or doing well that he doesn't want to hear any um, uh, constructive criticism or anything like that. And uh, he's he's very appreciative. Um, he, he's always thanking me and and thanking his other coaches and uh handles himself the right way in the locker room handles himself the right way in public um says the right things he's easy to like i mean i i i 100 agree with with your prediction of him being a, a fan favorite because he just he plays the game the right way he plays hard um he cares he cares about his teammates I, you know, I, I've said this before, and, and this this might be going a, a little bit too much. You know, all the other coaches talk about, oh, you, you know, that's your boy, that's your boy. But I, I've always said that if I, if I had a son, and hopefully I do have a son one day, I'd, I'd want him to be like Jordan Westberg. That's awesome. Can't say anything better than that. No. And uh, another guy who has been around the system a little bit longer, uh, Adam Hall. Does his versatility seems like he could play short, second, a little bit of center field this past year? Does that give him a little more time for the bat to develop that versatility? Absolutely. Um, he went out in Aberdeen this year, and uh, we initially had him on the left side of the infield at short, and then he, you know, he was struggling offensively a little bit, and then I think he was trying to make up for it with his defense and uh pressing a little bit and then he moved over to second base and center field and he he really really settled in i think that took a little pressure off him mentally you know um and he started producing stole a ton of bases um but yeah his versatility was very valuable for us at aberdeen and and um him being able to to go out into the outfield and play a solid second base um and and you know it, when you when you kind of talk to a player about that you you get a little nervous about hey you know you're going to play a little bit more at second base than you are at short and he handled it like an absolute pro and I, I think that that um, you know he's done really really well over there he had a couple injuries through the year that that slowed him down but he was on pace I I think still like 30, 35 bases something along those lines um, and yeah I mean. It, his versatility was pretty incredible and he can go get it in center field too. Um, you, you would think that he's been playing there his whole life, but that just kind of speaks to the athlete that that kid is as well. Yeah, he's pretty darn fast. It's a shame he got hurt when he did, cause it seemed like he was really turning it on with the bat right around there. So, yep. and uh, speaking of versatility, one of our patrons, Justin Daly wanted to know which infielders in the system have the most versatility. Oh boy, man. <laughs> You guys are killing me with these questions. Um, <laughs> who has the most versatility? Uh, you know, right off the bat, I do think of Joey Ortiz. Uh, I, I feel like he could he can play all three of those positions. Um, definitely up the middle. Uh, third is always difficult for guys to adjust to because that ball gets on you pretty quick. Um, I mean, I, I haven't seen Adam Hall at third. Um, Gunner and Westberg. I mean, these are these are the easy answers. 
Um, another guy uh, that that is a really really solid defender uh, that that should get a more a little bit more credit defensively is AJ Graffinino. Uh, he played he played all the positions for us at Aberdeen, uh, and I mean that guy is routine plays. He's I think I I, I remember. I think he was like, I don't, don't give me the exact number, but he didn't make one error on a routine ground ball when he played shortstop the entire year. Um, He's, he's sneaky. You know, he's, he's one of those sneaky defenders. That's like, you know, he makes these plays and, and then before you know it, you're like, man, this guy hasn't, this guy hasn't booted a ball in, in three weeks, you know? Um, And he's, he's another guy that takes pride in his defense and, and definitely has a lot of versatility. Um, played short, second, and third for us whenever it was needed. Love that too. I, I love AJ Graffinito and Greg Cullen, two guys the Orioles acquired for uh, in the Tommy Malone trade. But two guys I don't, I don't think no one really uh, talks about. Uh, so it's, I think, I think they're going to have special years next year as well. Uh, but we have another listener question from Matt, and, and he wants to talk about the analytics and fielding. You know, as fans, we have access to you know, limited information that advanced data as far as fielding goes. You know, outs above average and ultimate zone rating on websites like Fangraphs. But like as fans, can you give us some insight into what what analytics are, are more important for for us to look at as fans or as an organization? Uh, what are you all looking at that, that you can talk about? Um, without giving away too much, the the, the most analytical piece that has impacted me and my job and and you know what we're trying to do is definitely the shift information um you know it's you know we we spend a lot of time you know before series preparing on where we're gonna where we're going to uh place these guys defensively um as far as the ultimate zone rating and all that stuff i personally don't look at that probably as much as i should you know um that's for it's just something that that I just go out there and try to make these guys the best that they possibly could be, and I think that the the piece of analytics that's helped me the most and and helped our staff and and the infielders themselves is making sure that they're in the quote unquote right position, um, you know, before each pitch is thrown. Uh, so definitely the the uh, the shifts for for me and and from my experience so far, um, yeah. Let's talk about defense on the right side of the infield in a position that I think a lot of, like, from the fan perspective, you say uh, he's eventually like a first baseman. Defense in that great stigma at first base. How important is that defense at first base? And <laughs> among guys that you've been able to work with, T.T. Bowens, Andrew Doshbach, uh, J.D. Mundy, there's a, bit, a lot of first legitimate first base prospects in the system now. Who stood out to you uh, in the system here at first base? Man, they they were all really really good. Uh, unfortunately, Monday we only I only got to work with him for like two and a half three weeks, and then he got a hand injury, and his season was he got promoted, and like the day before he got promoted, he got he hurt his uh, one of his fingers fingers I think he broke one of his fingers, uh, so his time was a little bit limited. Uh, Andrew Dashback, I had him or we had him in in, uh, in Aberdeen, and man, he worked. He really, uh, he might be, in my opinion, uh, the most improved defensive player that I, I think that, that we had in Aberdeen all year. I mean, he really, really took took pride in it. Um, he cared so much, and and 
I mean, he was one of our solid defenders. He picked guys up when balls were thrown low. He always knew the right position to be in. Um, he got really, really good. And TT as well. I mean, TT, the last month and a half, he came up, and he's another guy that really, really took pride in his defense and, and worked on it and did extra work and machine work and picks. And, um, man, that's a big boy too. Uh, he he struggled initially offensively when he first came to Aberdeen, and then near the end of the year he, he found it and he hit some balls that was like, man, he hit some balls over the visitors' clubhouse in, in Aberdeen and left field, and that boy can hit. Uh, and to talk about all three of those guys as people as well, I mean, they're they're just they're just phenomenal people. They're they're great. Um, but defensively, I really really liked uh, the progress that that Dashback made uh, in his time at Aberdeen. One one thing that stands out with Dashback is the versatility factor because he can play the outfield corners as well. But how did he maintain that while you know, as you mentioned, getting a lot better at first base? Well, I I always wanted to steal him for for defensive work at first base, but I had to remind him to you know during batting practice that get out there in left field and 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 make sure you get your reps and and um, you know it's just the thing that that you manage sometimes when we're we're doing some uh, cutoff and relays you know uh, before games we'll we'll throw him out in the outfield to make sure that he's he's throwing that distance as well. Uh, but definitely a lot of uh, time in batting practice is just putting him in, in the outfield and, and getting his reps out there as well. Um, I wanted to steal him for every minute I could in the infield, but uh, had to be, had to be fair and throw him out there. <laughs> I have another listener question here from David Adams. Uh, were players in the Orioles system given an end of season report uh, and an off season development plan? Uh, and if so, were you involved in creating them? And what does it look like for a fielder? Um, a lot of it is just making sure that when they come into spring training, that their arm is ready and not fully ready, but just making sure that they're not sitting around. Um, at the end of the year, we did have some conversations. They have a player plan that they can access almost any time. And they know pretty much specifically uh, what they need to work on defensively. Um, I can tell you right now that in the off season, a lot of the guys are going to spend most of the time hitting, <laughs> hitting and lifting. Uh, and then when they're done hitting, they're going to hit some more. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, for the guys that I had, um, in Aberdeen at any point in the year, I, I did, you know, make sure that we had some, some focuses to, to, to head into the off season with, and, uh, we're actually having a mini camp here, January 25th through January 31st and uh, bring in some of our guys in there, spend a week with them, identify some of the things that they need to, to come to spring training ready to work on. Um, each guy's different, obviously. Um, even if they come back with – even if you give them one or two things to focus on in the off season, and they come back better at those, you're in a great spot. You know, when, once you start getting in trouble is, is where you give a guy a list of, you know, five things to get better at and – then he comes back and he's mediocre at all five, you know? So I, I just like to pick one or two things um, for those guys to focus on in the off season and, and tackle that. And, you know, I, I was happy to say that during the season, our infielders, we had zero arm issues, um, zero arm injuries. Uh, guys never really had sore arms from at least what I know or what they reported. Uh, and that's something that, that we, we definitely 
take pride in. So understanding to have their arm conditioned to a certain point when they report is very important. And, you know, in the weeks coming up, I'll make phone calls to some of those guys kind of reminding them and seeing where they're at and just checking in with them. Um, and tell them to put down the bat a little bit and pick up the glove because they all want to hit, hit, hit. That makes sense. <laughs> we have another listener question from uh, a patron and former guest, Vivek Shukla, who is a two-part question. Part one is, which players have you seen improve the most in the infield? And then part two is, improving defense isn't an easy task, so what drills and techniques do you try to impart on the infielders? Uh, I I already mentioned uh, that I think that Dashback really, really uh, was significantly improved at first base. Um, and again, that, that is, that is, uh, that's all from him and his desire to get better. You know, he, he never shied away from me. He took a lot of pride in it. Um, each player is different when it comes to the things that we work on. Uh, a lot of video, you know, we look at, we look at a lot. I look at, I've looked at every single defensive play that every infielder has been a part of in Aberdeen the entire year. Um, I think it was over 1,400 plays uh, that that I reviewed, um, and the players have access to review these as, as well. Uh, so we definitely do a lot of video review, and then once we identify a common problem or a common issue that those players continue to uh, come across, we will prescribe it with a certain drill or or – our plan of action. Uh, we definitely do a lot of machine drills off to the side so they can focus on things. Uh, a lot of soft toss fungos, um, a lot of soft toss fungos. So they're reading, uh, uh, you know, speed and direction of the ball. Uh, definitely working on that pre-pitch. But uh, I, I think that the biggest thing for me and both the players this year was was all that video review. And, and we had some guys in our organization that, that really, really helped with that video, collecting that video. Um, Tegan Leader and Ryan Gall specifically uh, in Aberdeen. I mean, that was that was huge. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that video, you know, because sometimes you may think that you see something during a game and you want to correct a player on it, but you you kind of wait till after the game and, and review and, and look at that video and then you could share it with the player. And then sometimes you, you figure out the problem together, you know? Um, but to me that the video has been easily the biggest piece. And, for you and it's helped me. It, it helped. Yeah. It's helped me uh, personally to, to get better as a coach. You know, the more that you see it, um, the more you're going to see common things and, and be able to compare one infielder to another and, uh, compare it to guys in the big leagues and, you know, it just makes you better. Did you have some, Zach? Yeah, oh, sorry no, if that, I cut you off. Oh, no, no, you're good. That just about covered it. What I was going to ask, though, was there were there times where you found yourself picking up things in the video that you may have missed in the game? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Um, and I've, I've learned to sometimes shut my mouth before uh, referring <laughs> to the video because <laughs> sometimes you'll – Sometimes I've said things to an infielder and he's like, eh, I don't know if that's how it went. And I'm like, well, it's pretty sure. And then you check the video and you're like, nah, I, I was wrong. He was right. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, the game happens so fast. And sometimes where you're standing and, and uh, you know, you might have a fence in front of you or, or whatever it may be. And, and you might turn for one second and, and you miss a play or you only see half of the play. Um, so definitely having that video to fall back on and refer to and, and, uh, confirm or, or, 
uh, you know, correct whatever your thoughts may have been. And the video doesn't lie. And and the best part about it was, you know, there was often times that we had um, multiple angles of, of one play. So maybe one angle didn't give you the best look, but then you look at a different camera angle and it, it, it tells the whole story. Anyway, you can pass some of those camera angles from Aberdeen along <laughs> next next year because it, it got difficult for us to watch uh, some nights. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's some of our guy. I mean, uh, uh, I know that Tegan Leader was out there every single day setting up uh, different cameras in the stands uh, to provide those those angles. And you know, I, I mentioned him and Ryan Gall were excellent with hey are these angles okay? And what's the best angle, you know, for you to, to help evaluate these guys. So uh, they, they really, really made my job much, much easier and, and it benefited the players the most. Yes. Uh, you were on another podcast a few months ago that uh, we were listening to, and you kind of, in that episode, you touched on at the end there, your, your own mental health journey uh, and some of the resources the Orioles have to help coaches and staff and players, uh, including Catherine Rowe, who's the mental skills coordinator for the Orioles, for those who don't know. Uh, can you, this become a bigger topic in sports. And I was wondering if you could just, you know, talk about the impact Rowe has had and the other resources that the Orioles implement uh, the impact that you've that they've had on on the players and coaches like yourself. Um, man, uh, we can we can spend a long time on this. But when I uh, when I first got hired by the Orioles, uh, I was engaged, and it was it was near the end of the engagement. And uh, when I got to the Orioles, I was struggling with some things, and uh, I met Catherine Rowe and also Matt Blood, our director of player development. And uh, I was very open with them about some of the things that I was struggling with. And they definitely guided me in the right direction. Uh, Matt Blood talked about his meditation practices that he used and, uh, you know, recommended some things that I do with that. And then Catherine Rowe was, I mean, she was awesome to me specifically. She she definitely walked me through a lot of things and, and had some great conversations. And um, I know that those same, same conversations are happening with the players. Um, and, you know, I think that knowing the players know that you have had your own struggles and are open to talk about them and um, you, it makes you more relatable to them. You know, they'll come to you with some things that they might not normally come to you with. Uh, but I, and it's a tough game. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, you're going to struggle and just understanding how to deal with it. But I, I definitely think that Catherine Rowe has played a, a, a huge part in our organization with, you know, not only helping myself, but, but I, obviously the players, I know um, there's been a couple articles with her work with Gunnar Henderson um, and how he, it's really, really helped him. And, and to be honest, I, I, I watched it firsthand. Um, you know, when he first got to to Aberdeen, he was, if he got an out, you knew that he wasn't happy and you saw that he wasn't happy. And, you know, uh, after him doing some work on that, you saw that he was maturing uh, on the mental side of things and understanding the struggles and it's it's going to challenge you. And um, I'm really, really proud of Gunner for, you know, uh, him developing into a young man you know, cause you kind of saw that growth and that maturity happen. And I think that has to do a lot with, uh, with Catherine Rowe and the things that we have in place. And, um, I think that ultimately starts with Matt blood valuing that and, and making those, those resources available in our organization. Um, I, 
you know, we talked about the relationships with other coaches and players. One of the first questions that you asked, I am, I'm so comfortable with everybody in this organization because I feel that they're such good people that I can talk about my personal struggles and my ups and downs all the time with them. And I, I never feel judged and I feel very supportive. And if I feel that way as a coach, I know that the players feel the same way. That's fantastic. And I think it's pretty easy for people to forget these, these prospects, these people, they're, you know, they're young kids growing up, they're developing as a person as well as as a player. 100%. A lot of them have, have always been the best player and, and uh, you know, the best player in their college team, the best player in their high school, and, and maybe not have struggled. So when they get to a certain level, you're going to eventually struggle. Um, and learning to deal with that is extremely important. And um, it's not always easy. And sometimes there's a learning curve. And, um, and, and I hope that fans understand that as well, because there's you know, especially with this quote unquote rebuild, you know, there's a lot of pressure on some of these prospects to perform and, you know, they go through a, you know, a little bit of a slump and, and they might feel that pressure a little bit more. Um, and, uh, uh, like I said, these resources that we have in place have been excellent for coaches, organization, the players, everybody. Nice. I know I was listening to, uh, um, one more point on that. I was listening to a football podcast earlier today, actually, but uh, they were talking about how, at least in the NFL, and I feel like this could translate into baseball as well, in minor league baseball, but in the NFL, there's some talk among executives that you, know, you can replicate playing style, fundamentals, you can replicate all of that, but uh, you can't replicate culture. And they think that this one particular person, I think it was an article in The Ringer, too, about this, uh, how culture is the separating factor for a lot of organizations. What's going to help you rise to the top? Uh, and I thought that was pretty interesting. And it feels like from all of our conversations with uh, Orioles personnel that we've had, it seems like the Orioles are building a, a premier culture and one that I think a, a lot of other organizations uh, should look towards. And it, it, one that the Orioles should be definitely be proud of and Orioles fans should be proud of. So pretty cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't use the word culture too much. You know, I, I think that sometimes it's an overused word. Uh, but with that being said, our culture is awesome. <laughs> uh, we we're we're in a good spot as coaches where uh, we could. Um, <laughs> I just saw one of those questions pop up, uh, but we're in a a good position where, you know, um, you're not going to be judged for giving an idea or presenting an idea or trying something new, um, and and the players know that and the players know, uh, what we're, what we're building and the coaches all buy into it. You know, I, I, I can't say that there's any coaches that kind of do their all thing. We, we kind of fit in as a, as a family and that trickles into the players and, and, you know, you see some things in spring training and throughout the year where the players police each other. And that's when you know that, that things are, are going in the right direction. You know, you see some players take some other guys aside, especially when they move up a level and they, hey, that's not how we do things here or this is how we do things. And when you have the players start to do it and the coaches don't have to, that's when you know that you have something special and it's trending in the right direction. So we have a question here from friend of the show, Eric Garfield, uh, who has chimed in on YouTube. Can you ask Coach DJ who has the best shoe game among the players he's seen and who needs to step it up? It needs to be asked. <laughs> uh, all right, so I'm a, I'm a huge sneaker guy. Uh, my sneaker game does not, to be, not, does not need to be improved, that's for sure. Uh, D.L. Hall definitely has the best sneaker game that I've seen. Uh, his cleats on the field are a lot of custom Jordans. 
really, really good. Uh, a lot of his off-field sneakers are, are really good, too. Adam Hall has a really, really good uh, sneaker game. Uh, whose needs to be improved? Man. That's a tough Call one. him out. Call him out. <laughs> uh, we'll cut the clip and send it to him, too. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think. Uh, man, that's a tough one. Dashbox. He kind of wears like these high, high top sneakers or, or these cleats. I think there might be New Balance or something. And I don't know. They just, they don't do it for me. <laughs> this going his um, off season report. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna hear about this from him, but yeah. Uh, I don't know if Zach or Bob had any more questions, but I have two quick ones um, to wrap up. I know catching is its own beast, and I don't know if you do a lot of work with you know that particular position group. But since you've had a front row seat to watching Maverick Hanley. And uh, listeners of the show know that's my guy. I've been leading this hype train from the very beginning. Um, just how good is this guy's defense and his overall ability? Because like, I would love to see the Adley Rutschman, Maverick Canley pairing in the big leagues at some point. And the highlights we get to see of Maverick Canley are just, they just look phenomenal. He's good. I mean, he impacts the game in more ways um, than, than the average fan. Um, would understand, you know, the way that he calls the game, the way that he handles the staff uh, when he's not in the game or he's not catching that day, he kind of will be near the coaching staff a little bit and, and he wants to absorb as much information as he can. We've had, uh, I don't work with catchers personally, you know, I, but I've had some, some pretty good baseball talks with him, you know, in games, uh, he, he's incredible. I mean, he, he receives the ball well. He throws well. Uh, he, he'll he steal a ton of strikes. Uh, his impact on, on our pitching staff was immeasurable this year. I mean, he, he's really, really good, and he's another another good dude that you, that you like. Um, he's definitely a Stanford kid because he's smart. Uh, great dude. Um, you should be on the, on the Maverick Hanley hype train. Good, good to hear. Um, yes. Yeah, and one. This isn't a, a, a baseball question, but I know you wanted to get out of here before the game tonight. Uh, we're recording <laughs> Monday night, so uh, I just wanted your pick before you go. Is it, is it uh, Georgia or Alabama? Man, uh, one of my really, really close close friends in the organization, a guy that uh, I wasn't too close to before this season. Uh, he was our manager, uh, Kyle Moore, Camo. Big Alabama guy, uh, so I gotta. I can't go against Saban. I gotta ride with with my man Camo. So I'm I'm going roll tide tonight. Um, I'm definitely excited to watch this game. But uh, shout outs to Camo, great dude, one of my best friends in the org. So I, I gotta roll with my guys and, and uh, roll tide. Well, Tim, we really appreciate I, you for the record, though. For sorry to cut you off. For the record, <laughs> I am a USC Trojans fan for college football. So I'm I'm pretty excited that they got Lincoln Riley there, and I think in the next few years they could they could turn it around. So go Trojans! And I always let uh, Hanley, Maverick, and uh, and Dashbach know that you know the Pac-12 still goes through the Trojans. <laughs> I was gonna say it's been a while since they've been uh, elite, right? Since Barkley yeah, days. Yeah, it's been a it's been a probably since the Pete Carroll days. So best of luck. <laughs> 
Tim, we really <laughs> appreciate you coming on tonight. Um, you're really engaged with the fans on Twitter. Um, on there a lot. Can you tell our listeners where they can follow you? Yeah, uh, Twitter and Instagram. They're both public. Um, it's at djohn underscore five, D-E-J-O-H-N underscore five. Um, I pretty much will reply to anybody, whether it's a, a public tweet or a private message on, on Instagram or Twitter. Um, most of the time, fans interact with me about my sneakers and LeBron James because I'm a big LeBron James guy, but uh, at djohn underscore five. And I'd be more than happy to, to – may take a couple days sometimes, but I promise you I will get back to you. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us. And enjoy the game tonight, and best of luck to the Trojans uh, going forward in Lincoln Riley. <laughs> thank you guys very much. You guys asked some really, really good questions, some tough questions uh, that I had to stop and think about before I answered. And, you know, we really appreciate your your support in the organization and uh, definitely looking forward to the to the future. And let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. Definitely. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. See ya. That was Tim DeJohn, the fundamentals coach for the Aberdeen Ironbirds in 2021 and instructor in the Baltimore Orioles farm system. We're going to get into some international preview talk in a moment, as well as shout out some of our new patrons. But first, that was a great interview. Really enjoyed listening to Tim. Um, I'll just start with Nick on this. What was kind of your takeaway from that conversation? I know he said he doesn't like to use that word culture, and, and I, I get it. Why? Uh, but, man, the more people we talk to uh, on this podcast, through social media, whatever it may be, like you just fall in love with the system more and more. Uh, and Jordan Westberg is now one of my top guys. I mean, that's a phenomenal story, uh, conversation he had about Jordan Westberg there. So um, it's great insight. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we can get uh, some more coaches in the organization on here because I think that's a lot of extremely valuable information that Orioles fans uh, learned tonight from Tim. Yeah, I kind of had the same takeaway. I mean, you always hear, at least when I was growing up, even, you know, the Oriole way, they need to get back to the Oriole way. Well, I don't know if there's ever been an Oriole way. Well, I've been an Orioles fan, but it seems like we finally found a good Oriole way, quote unquote. So, yeah, that's that was definitely a big takeaway for me. Yeah, I completely agree. I, you know, I never really understood entirely what Oriole way was. It was like, well, you developed a lot of good pitching on and on. But I think there is something to be said about a winning culture or whatever word you want to use there. So absolutely great to hear from Tim tonight. And before we get into our international preview, we do want to shout out some new members of our Patreon community. We do have one here at On the Birds. Uh, we normally shout out the new members at the top of the show, but we wanted to get into our interview with Tim tonight. So we're going to do it now before we jump into our next topic and i'll let bob uh do the honors here yeah absolutely and and it lee Gaines is the new patron first and foremost thank you so much lee for joining and and i think he was a triple a member now he's ten dollars uh pledge and he actually made a huge commitment to us and paid for a year up front which we should mention you can do that it will save you a couple dollars to do it that way and your, your commitment's pretty safe we're not going anywhere but greatly appreciate that 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 takes a takes a big step yes thank you lee for your support and thank you to all of our patrons for their support as well as all our listeners here at on the verge the international signing period will start on january 15th this used to be a dead spot in the calendar every year for Orioles fans you knew it was coming around back when it was on july 2nd every year and nothing of significance would happen with the orioles that has been changing in the last few years and there are more signs of that this year because the orioles are linked to three very notable prospects ahead of that January 15th deadline. Now, mind you, as we talk about these players tonight, they're not officially Orioles, 
Um, and, you know, anything could happen. But the expectation is that when the international signing period does officially begin, they will sign quickly. And one of them is Cesar Prito. News broke over the weekend that Prito, who defected from Cuba last year, is expected to sign with the Orioles. 22-year-old has been called a very good pure hitter in most scouting reports. Uh, doesn't seem to project for a ton of power, but would bring in another good infielder into the system. Uh, with a very good hit tool, 22 years old, um, remains to be seen where he would start if he joins the Orioles. But starting off with the players that are expected to sign with the Orioles, will go to Prito. And Bob, you know, we had this news come in a few nights ago. Um, kind of a surprise because Prito had really not been linked to the Orioles until very recently, just within the last few days. And as you've tried to learn more about him as a player, what have your impressions been? Yeah, that was fun because we've heard the same two names over and over again for quite a while now that the Orioles look like they're going to sign when when these things are announced. So then when when this announcement came out from uh, on Twitter, we're getting a defected Cuban uh, middle infielder who's 22 years old, so he's more advanced. You know, he hopefully will not need the five six years in the minor leagues to make uh, an impact at the major league level. And the more I saw, the more. I liked. I mean, it, it said we're going to be signing him for around six hundred fifty to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, but because he defected late into the signing period, he really could have got somewhere in the neighborhood of two million dollars. I saw somewhere, and I mean, if you can get that kind of talent at a good price, just because he doesn't want to wait another six months to a year to get into professional American baseball at twenty three years old, then you got to do it. And it seems like he's got elite bat control; like he only struck out like six or eight times in hundreds of at-bats uh, this past season, and it seems like he's got a great hit tool. Not a ton of power, but doesn't walk a ton either. But if you're not striking out and you can just hit the ball to all fields, it's kind of like a, a poor man's Taron Vavra up there. So you got to love it. More more infield talent in this system. You can never have enough. Yeah, I think he's going to be a very fast riser. And I think between all three of these guys we're going to look at briefly tonight uh, that we know are connected to the Orioles, I think Prito might be my favorite, to be completely honest, just because, like Bob mentioned, he, he's signing for reportedly signing for around six hundred fifty to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. I've seen both numbers, but yeah, it's all timing issue. If this is a normal cycle, this is a guy who and uh, I wrote it down here. Where to go? Uh, James Fox over at SoxProspects dot com, White Sox blog and a podcast, just like us, except the White Sox version. Um, yeah, he did a quick write-up on Preto and said like the White Sox were interested in him, but they had no money. All their money was tied up. Like most teams, their money was already tied up, uh, so they weren't going to grab him. The Orioles did. Um, when you're labeled the best pure hitter in Cuba, according to Fangraphs, and his slash, well, his stat line last year in Cuba: 403, 463, 579, with 21 doubles, seven triples, seven home runs. 31 walks, 11 strikeouts in 74 games. Like that's as a 21 year old in the top league in Cuba. So I'm paying attention to that. Um, I've, I've heard rumors of there possibly being uh, an international signee uh, coming, participating in camp in a couple of weeks. Uh, and I have to wonder, this is all speculation on my part. You have to wonder if it's Prito, if he's already going to begin uh, working out, if he does sign on Monday. So that's, I, th- I don't see any reason why he couldn't start in Bowie next year. I mean, it's probably high A. You get the feet wet, get used to the pro ball over here. But this could be a guy that starts in Bowie next year for the Orioles. 
Yeah, credit to Francis Romero over at MLB.com who broke that news um, a few days ago about Preto. There had been a few other teams linked to him last year. I believe the Astros were one of them. Nick mentioned the White Sox. Um, I did want to throw this out about Preto because it seems like the signing bonus reported at somewhere between 650000 to 750000 and the fact that he signed the Orioles is catching a lot of people by surprise. And one of the things you're hearing out there is, well, maybe the Orioles are offering Preto a quicker path to the major leagues and what other some of the other organizations could give him. Do you think that's necessarily the case? I could see maybe his representation thinking that, you know, looking at the major league product and, and saying maybe my guy can beat these other shortstop prospects to the bigs, get established and, and kind of make, get a holding in there. But I think probably it's just the fact that the Orioles can offer him the most money right now. That's, I think that's probably the most important aspect when it comes to this, but who knows? Yeah. And I mean, the other two guys we're going to look at are supposed to sign, at least one of them is supposed to get the biggest bonus uh, in Orioles history. But even so, like the Orioles also have that money. Like Vivek's comment there earlier, we're not trading that bonus slot any money anymore. <laughs> we had, we came into the period, one of the biggest signing bonus pools and yeah, we're giving out bigger contracts, but I, I'm interested to know like what the, what does the rest of the class look like? How big are these signing bonuses? Because yeah, we're getting bigger players and more well, well-known well players internationally. But at the same time, like there hasn't been enough time to form those relationships because you're cracking deals with these kids when they're so young. And I don't think there's been enough time to really establish a full presence over uh, in these countries yet. So, uh, you know, the Orioles probably had extra money lying around because of that and were able to grab Preto maybe, but could have offered that promise of, hey, we – we might start you in double A or high A and you could be in the major leagues in 2023. It could be. And I had someone on Twitter ask me, why are you getting excited about uh, this guy? You know, he's only signing for this much. He's already 22 years old. There's not much upside. And I'm, I'm thinking, Hey, anytime you can have a chance to add a talented player into an already talented system, I'm going to be excited. And you never know who's going to hit, who's going to bust. He not, might not uh, amount to anything. Victor Victor Mesa, we were all excited about the possibility of him coming to the Orioles a couple years ago, and he kind of flamed out a little bit with Miami. But you don't know until you're in the game. So you get him in there and you see what your your Tim Johns can do, maybe get him up to speed on defense, and, and he could make a, an impact at the Major League level someday. You can't – not to call anybody out specifically. I didn't see that comment. I don't know who it is. But it's just in general, like – Orioles fans have been complaining about this for a long time, how we're not involved. And if we're going to go out and get players, like you can't be mad at that. Like you have to be excited about these guys because even if they don't pan out, well, other teams were interested in this guy. The Astros were very interested in this guy. You bring him in the organization. If he hits well next year in high A or double A, wherever he is, that's a big trade piece that you can send off a well-established guy who's in the major leagues in a, within a year and not a 16 year old who you have to wait five, six years for just to come to the United States to play. Like, yeah, I'm going to be excited about every single person the Orioles sign internationally. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like the international market, and this is something we'll probably get into a little bit more on this show and on future shows. I feel like that international market, it's a lot harder to try to project who's your top 100, who's your top 50 prospects, because most of these kids are 16 years old. So you got to base a lot of that on projection. What are they going to play like when they're, you know, 19, 20 years old. We talk about that with Samuel Basayo and Michael Hernandez constantly. 
you know, we think Pisayo, as he gets bigger and fills out more, is going to hit the ball 750 feet rather than 500 like he does now. But we're basing that on projection. Absolutely. Yeah. So we use this as an opportunity to transition to the biggest signing that it looks like is going to happen? Yes. So we'll go now to the player that, according to MLB Pipeline, is the top prospect linked to the Orioles, and that's Braylon Tavera, an outfielder who, get this, was born in the year 2005. He ranks as MLB Pipeline's number 22 prospect in the international prospect rankings that they have right now. Nathan Ruiz has reported over at the Baltimore Sun that the Orioles are expected to give a top 20 bonus to Tavera, which would be one and a half to two million dollars. That would be more than they gave to Samuel Basayo last year. Uh, just to give a little bit of background on Tavera, MLB Pipeline has him as a 50 hit tool, 55 power, 55 run, 50 arm, and 50 field. So we're looking at a player who is, you know, solid across the board. And just to give a little bit of a blurb uh, on his scouting report from MLB Pipeline. At the plate, the lean and athletic team shows a good approach and sound fundamentals with improving pitch recognition. He has good feeling, and it goes on with his uh, approach to the plate here. But, Nick, I'll just start with you. Your thoughts on Tavera as the Orioles look likely to sign him. Uh, I was hoping you weren't going to mention that born in 2005 bit because that was my junior year of high school, uh, which is – this is getting out of hand here. Um, yeah, like it's you look at Baseball America and they have him as the 18th, number 18 on their top 50 big board, which I think it's important to note that's based on signing bonus, not like talent or future projection and future value. Um, you know, but I did find a little bit of old footage of him. It's almost two years old now, I think, at this point. But you saw as, as a 14, 15 year old, it's easy to see like the physical projection in this kid. And I've seen him listed at 6'2", 175 pounds. I've seen him listed at 6'3", 165 pounds. So somewhere in that range. Um, it, I'm going to be honest, though, and say like I'm confused because like you mentioned that glowing review of him on MLB Pipeline, and he is you know top 20, top 25 prospect on the, their international board. Five-tool player, potential five-tool player with super impressive speed. But Baseball America like wasn't that high on him. They're like, yeah, yeah he's going to get the 18th biggest signing bonus projected to, but he has a bunch of average-ish tools. Like that was basically their write-up with elite speed. Uh, and so I don't know. Like he's not on Fangraphs top 70. That's which is based on future value. So I don't know which which way to lean with him. Uh, but hopefully in five years, maybe we're we're cutting that cut that difference there, and we're looking at a top 10, top 20 prospect in the system with a bunch of average to slightly above average tools. I mean, I'll take an outfielder who's major league average right around at every tool. I mean, that sounds like uh, with the lead speed, it kind of sounds like Michelle Desson right now. I mean, kind of similar type of player. So, yeah, this is a kid who was in the Dominican Prospect League for a while now. So he's been around, definitely a name people should know if they follow that kind of thing. I actually just picked up a couple autographed baseball cards of his uh, in time for the signing period on Friday so or Saturday, whenever it is. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about him, you know. I don't know. I, I kind of was, I think I was more excited about Basalo and Michael Hernandez the last time, just because I feel like you can easily, more easily picture the kind of players they could potentially be down the line. Uh, an outfielder with average tools across the board. It doesn't get you as excited as a guy with humongous power or a, the next Manny Machado, which uh, were kind of the taglines for the, the last couple guys. But it's definitely exciting. You get these guys, if they're spending that much money, it's for a reason. I trust Kobe Perez and company to know what they're looking at. And, We'll see what happens. Yeah, Bob, it's interesting you bring up today's show, and that was kind of where my mind was going. Because right now, you know, Nick mentioned the height weight listings for Tavera are kind of all over the place. 
MLB pipeline has him at 6'3", 165 pounds. And when we talk about Dayson a lot, we're talking about a guy that has above average tools across the board. And you're wondering, you know, how is his power going to project? I think because the scouting reports across a lot of these outlets seem to suggest at least a wide range of evaluations for the here and now, not so much a wide range of outcomes, but for the here and now, a wide range of evaluations. Tavera is going to be a bit of a mystery for a while, but yeah, most reports, when I see a teenager who can apparently play the outfield well, has really good speed and good bat to ball skills, I think that's something you can work with. Yeah. I was, I was going to bring this up with the next prospect, but with both these guys, you look at Tavera, it says that even Baseball America's kind of downer-ish you know, report on him, it, it says that this is a kid who they envision, you know, they project him down the road as someone who can stick in center field because of speed and you see the arm strength and that's what they're basing this off of. And so like that is more comforting to me. So this isn't a kid who a 16 year old who they're already saying, yeah, he's probably gonna have to move to like left field, you know, in a couple of years, or he's going to fill out that frame and the speed's not going to be there anymore. You have to move him out of center field. That's not what they're saying with this kid that that speed should stick. Like it is like uh, almost elite level speed, like 60 yard dash times he was posting. Uh, and so if you think they can stick in center field, then I think that speaks to the the athletic ability of this kid. And like you said, it's going to take a couple of years before we finally see him, but that's, that's what makes all of this even, even more fun. And you mentioned like Bob mentioned the baseball cards and I actually get that, that you guys in, in the card chat on our, our Patreon group, you're like, Oh man, look what I got in the mail today. I didn't even know I ordered that. Uh, you know, I feel like that's what it is with these prospects. You're like, I'm so excited about these guys. And then like two years from now, we're going to be like, Oh yeah, that guy, this is awesome. This is so great. <laughs> Exactly. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, the way this development system, this development team that the Orioles have put together have proven to be able to improve guys. You give me a guy who's just average across the board coming in, then I like our odds of being able to mold him in whichever way they want to, you know, point him. So add some power, get him hitting the ball hard and, and let's see what he can do. Before we move on to from Tavera, I'm going to give you kind of an either or proposition here, but I don't want you know our listeners to think this is what I'm thinking about Tavera because there's a lot of unknowns. We've stressed that tonight, but as a, if you're looking at a 16 year old prospect, you're about to give a lot of money to, would you rather have the elite speed and the ability to stick in the center field? Um, even if you have questions about the power, or would you rather have the guy that you know is going to have to move out of center field but maybe there's a little bit of power projection there. It's a tough question. I mean, you kind of need a mix of both, right? So I think center fielders, pure, true center fielders are going to be tougher to find. So give me that. If, as long as they can hit, you know, maybe you get lucky and like a guy like Cedric Mullins. We saw whoever thought he'd hit 30 home runs. So just give me a guy that can play a great center field and can hit the ball and I'll take my chances. Yeah, this is our defense episode. Uh, so in honor of that, I mean, yeah, give me a guy who you tell me he can stick in center field. He's got the arm. It's going to stay there. Give me that because we've seen instances already of this organization being able to you know, develop hitters. Take a guy like Zach Watson, who you know, we've, we joke a lot about. He knew the power was always there, which I'm sure it was, but you know, he never showed that at the pro ranks until this past year. Like You can teach that. You can grow and develop that, but you know, as these guys you know, grow and develop and fill out these frames, they are going to maybe slow down a little bit. You know, they might lose a, a touch of that athleticism. So, but if you you are athletic enough to stick in center field, I think that's going to be more valuable. And that seems to be the type of prospect, you know, that the Orioles like, that up-the-middle strength guys. 
So the other prospect that the Orioles are linked to that is in MLB Pipeline's top 50 is shortstop Leonardo Arias, who ranks 46 on MLB Pipeline's list. Uh, switch hitting shortstop, I'll read here from their scouting report. He has good bat-to-ball skills and has been praised for his overall hitting ability, including his advanced approach at the plate. He also has an emerging run tool that projects to be solid to average. Once again, you're looking at an investment the Orioles are making up the middle, getting a shortstop with good bat-to-ball skills. Sounds like a solid plate approach for his aides. Um, you know, looking at the scouting report right now, projected the 55 power, which I think is decent for a 16-year-old middle infielder to have that. Uh, but I'll just start here. Your impressions on Arias, Bob, and what you think his signing could uh, mean for the Orioles. Another shortstop prospect. We've got plenty of those. Uh, you can see what the Orioles are targeting. You, you kind of hear it with every guy. Bat-to-ball skills, bat-to-ball skills. You know, they want guys that can just flat-out hit. Uh, in general, I think that's a very important tool to come in with, and then they can, you know, try to muscle them up, get, get them to drive the ball a little bit more. So, yes, yeah, switch hitting guy up the middle. I'm never going to be mad about it. You know, just keep piling those guys in and see who is the king of the hill at the end of the day. Uh, I'm excited about him. Yeah, I think every report I've seen, you know, they like the power from both sides. They like the the feel for contact from both sides. And so I think if you're looking at a 16-year-old kid who they feel confident in being able to hit from both sides and is already kind of an advanced hitter, um, I think it was MLB Pipeline or somewhere that said he might have been one of the more, uh, I can't remember if it was Arias or Tavera, but MLB Pipeline said they were one of the probably the more um, polished players uh, when you're talking about 15, 16-year-old kids here. He's one of the more polished, well-rounded players uh, in this international class that the Orioles are grabbing here. And I know at Fangraphs, he was a they gave him a 40-plus future value grade, which like that would put him between like 12 and 17 in the Orioles system. That's they have Kobe Mayo, which I think there might need to be an adjustment there, 40-plus future value grade there. But Kobe Mayo, Connor Norby, Servideo, Adam Hall, Jemai Jones, and Reed Trimble are the 40-plus future value prospects currently in the system. So. If you're going to add that, and Tavares, Tavares might be even higher ranked than that. Um, and then is Prito a guy who slides into the top 30? Uh, is he that high? He could be. I think he was also like a 35 or 40 future value grade on the fan graphs. He was four plus as well. Oh, so this could be like three top 20, top 25 prospects that the Orioles are adding to the system, which is already the number one farm system in baseball. Well, last year we held out on completing our top 30 because of the reports that the Orioles were going to sign Michael Hernandez and Samuel Basayo. Both ended up ultimately in our top 30. Now we're doing a top 50 and we're waiting for all three players uh, this year to presumably sign with uh, in the system. I'll be honest, I still don't know where I'm going to put them just yet, but it seems like for the two of you, Nick and Bob, you're already starting to think where they might fit in this uh, organization. Oh, yeah. Wheels are definitely spinning ever since I, I've seen these reports, like for even with Tavera and, and uh, Arias for a while now. So, yeah, I'm still not sure. It's going to be fun to figure out. And I'm, I'm curious to see where you guys put them as well and then where they stack up when we put our, our list all together. It's the most difficult part for me is like I sit down with our list and I say, I think I start off by saying that I like the high floor guys more. And then I get to like Kobe Mayo and like that eight, nine range. I'm like, mm, look at all these high ceiling guys. I want to push them up. So my, my plan just goes to shreds after like top six or top <laughs> seven. So I feel like it's going to be like that with Tavera and Arias. Like Arias, eh, is he a top 30 guy? I don't know. But you look at that upside, 
I'm going to want to put them in like the top 20. So yeah, a lot to think, sit down and think about, and we'll learn more. Hopefully we learn some more, uh, a lot more next week about all these guys. The Orioles sign. Seems like Freddie Galvis upside for Leandro Arias. I'm calling it now. I mean, that is true. You know, once they're in the system, I think that we'll start to get a little bit of a better feel for at least what the immediate development plan is. Cause I know like with, you know, Arias, um, and Tavera, they're probably going to start off in the Dominican Summer League this year. But with Prito, it seems like there's a pretty solid chance that he's going to start with one of the four full-season affiliates. It's a question of which one. Yeah. I My first thought was Aberdeen, but I could see him starting in Delmarva or even Bowie or Norfolk. Who knows? I mean, how polished he is. I mean, he's playing in professional league down there. So it'll definitely be interesting. I have no idea where he's going to start, but it'll definitely be full season. Do you I feel like this is already blowing up your projected rosters? Uh, yeah, I have no idea. Just, I'm glad I posted it before uh, the signing was made official. I think I saw like they compared the pro league in Cuba to like high A. I don't know if you guys have seen that as well. Because I know people like to say, like, what, is, what does this translate to in you know stateside? And I've seen a lot of high A comparisons, which, and he excelled pretty well there. So yeah, I, if I bet money, I'd say Preto probably start does start in high A just to get used to everything. But if he's there, he's probably not going to be there for very long before he's in Bowie. And like I said, this could be a guy in 2023, a 2021 international signing who's in the major leagues in 2023, if all goes right. We're looking way ahead here, but uh, it's is a high floor guy, at least that fans could probably get excited about pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So it's exciting to be able to talk about international free agents and you know, we mentioned three players tonight. There's a very real possibility, though, that there are some names that come out of this year's class that don't necessarily attract a lot of attention right away, but that a year or two down the line, we're talking about a lot more. Uh, so be sure to really check that out when we roll around to January 15th. And we'll have more on that next week when we're back on the air with a new show on Monday night. Before we wrap up for the night, though, Nick, Bob, a um, lot we've talked about tonight. Any final thoughts? Uh, no, I mean, like I said, I, every interview we do, every episode we do now as it's getting colder and colder here, at least in Virginia, um, I'm getting more and more excited for baseball for sure. And that interview definitely sparked that again. But I guess my final thought would be like, my heart wants to say go dogs tonight. Uh, but I got money on Alabama, so I'm rolling with Tim and saying, uh, roll tide. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's great. we're going to have a, a great month of January and then February is spring training, even if it's only minor league spring training to start. So just getting more and more excited for baseball every single week. And I'm just loving what we hear from all of our guests, as we've said. And yeah, I, I just can't wait for baseball to be back. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's fun to be able to talk about things that are not affected by the lockout, one of which is international free agency and the start of the minor league season. So We'll definitely be back here week after week at On The Verge. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL On The Verge and check out Baltimore Sports and Life for the latest articles on the Orioles, Ravens, Terps, and more. There's even a sports media story up there today about the athletic sale to the New York Times that is worth checking out. Uh, so while you're on BSL, head over to the message board and join the discussion with fellow BSL readers as well as some writers from the site. Uh, we'll be back next week, uh, but until then, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.